Welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. I'm your host, Dan Lewis. Who is the spiritual leader of your family? Is it you, your pastor, your spouse, the media? Do you know? I did. And sadly, no one was taking responsibility to lead our family. Well, friends, someone needs to take that job, and that man is you. You may not feel qualified, and some days I don't. With the help of God and a community of dads helping each other on their journey, you can be the leader your family deserves. We welcome you to the Journey of the Christian Dad podcast. All right, guys, welcome back. Man, this has been a super exciting week. We had uh, 200 people here in St. Louis come to see Jesus Revolution. I had a couple theaters here, and it was like the coolest thing, having uh, lots and lots of people come. Uh, some of the invitations uh, that were made were able to you know, have conversations about Christ. Some were accepted, some were rejected, but it's about planting the seeds and seeing how they grow. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny having a movie about hippies. So you can invite almost anybody, you know, 40, 50, 60 year olds. Hey, man, you want to see a movie about some hippies? So some of those conversations turned turned fruitful and, uh, you know, some of them were, were trampled on a little bit, but uh, results aren't up to me. They're up to God. So let him do his work. So anyway, that was fantastic uh navigating that this week and uh glad to see the box office was 15.5 million the first weekend and six to seven was the projected number nice so for all the investors and everything in that movie uh they're gonna they're gonna come out quite well so all right with that let's jump in let's jump in this week we've got a awesome guy you guys know i love f3 uh fitness Fellowship and Faith, F3Nation.com. We've interviewed the founders and the president and a bunch of people involved with F3. And we're bringing back a guy who's technically not like leadership in F3 or anything like that. Not at all. He's not not a, not a SC Greenville, South Carolina guy. It's a local St. Louis guy. And I got connected to him through another F3 guy. He says, hey, do you know Eric McPherson? I was like, no, I don't. Why should I know him? And he says, well, he's a Christian counselor. He's got a lot of experience. Guys helped me with some marriage wisdom over the years. And he's an F3 guy. And he gets out there and gets after it. So for all the F3 guys listening, they're like, dude, what's his nickname? <laughs> that's right. Nickname is Miles Davis. Miles Davis. That's awesome. That's awesome. We don't need to get into the how and the why of how you're Miles Davis. <laughs> it's an embarrassing story. So uh, <laughs> as most of them are. Awesome. Awesome. So um, anyway, welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Excited to have you here with us. Thanks. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. It's uh, a good morning. I got my coffee. I'm ready to talk and um, I'm excited to be here. Fantastic. So it's funny when we got introduced, um, I had been literally praying. I'm like, man, I need to have a good you know, family guy on, good marriage guy on counselor, not kind of like, but I'm like, I need to have somebody back on and I don't know who I want to reach out to. And then it was just given to me. Yeah. Like, Here you go. And then That's the movie awesome. came up and we connected on that. And, uh, you know, on short notice, like, yeah, let me, you know, work on my schedule and we'll get this going. So man, so excited to have you with us, like literally a God ordained type thing. And the pieces just fell right together. So yeah, God is awesome that way. I call them those burning bush moments. Uh, you know, when Moses was in the desert, um, he was a shepherd and, and burning bushes in the desert were pretty common. I mean, that's not an unusual thing. 
But what, uh, what was unusual about this burning bush was that it wasn't being consumed, like it kept burning. And Moses went to check it out because it was unusual. And it began a great conversation with God, and it changed the course of his life and the course of history. And so many times we need to pay attention to those burning bush moments. And this was one of those where you know, this guy I don't know reaches out to me and is like, hey, I got a movie thing. I got a podcast thing. And I'm like, okay, it's so weird. I should probably pay attention to this. Uh, so I think as Christians, we got to pay attention to those burning bush moments, the weird things that's easy to dismiss and say, hey, I don't know about that. Uh, but if we pay attention, we often find God there. Yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I've had so many of those moments in my life and uh, I did. I felt like a crazy person when I reached out to you with the number of different things and also the urgency with the movie being like right now. So yeah. We so had a couple funny. of people go to the movie, by the way, and said it was excellent and highly recommended it. I can't wait to go see it. I've heard so many good things about it. I actually heard, do you mind talking about this for a little bit? No, no, go, go. So I heard, uh, I don't watch Jimmy Fallon, uh, but I heard a clip on Twitter uh, with Kelsey Grammer explaining why he got involved in the movie. Did you see that clip? I've seen a few of Kelsey's clips and on one, he was on Today Show or something and it was only a two minute clip because he was crying. He couldn't, he couldn't answer the questions because he kept shutting down and losing, you know, emotionally, like just overcome with emotion. So he was explaining to Jimmy how he got involved in this project. He said he was up one night meditating and praying just really at a kind of a crossroads in his life. He wanted to do something meaningful. So he's praying to God, you know, I want to do something meaningful with my next project, something that would impact people. And he said the next day, the script landed on his door. And he wow. said, well, this is the answer. I've got to do this. And that's how he got involved in the project. And I thought, man, that's that's an awesome story. That's a burning wow. bush moment right there for Kelsey Grammer. He got involved in the project and and loved it. So I can't wait to see the movie. That's cool. That's a really cool story. I didn't know. I knew there was this, but I didn't know the very next day. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes God answers your prayers like super quick and mm-hmm. obvious. And other times it takes a little while. And, oh, you my know, gosh. God is mysterious and he's not clear about anything. Uh, Sometimes it takes years to know what the answer to the prayer was. So yeah, it's uh, sometimes it's immediate and sometimes it's not. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And Kelsey Grammer's wife says that was the best role, best acting, best all time performance you've ever had. That's awesome. You know, Cheers had his own show. Yeah, like, Frasier sitcom. Yeah, done some big things. So, yeah. Um, anyway, that, I, I thought just the whole story behind that was pretty cool. And then uh, Jonathan Ramey, who plays Jesus and the Chosen, yeah, plays a hippie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know. I can't wait to see him in that role. It's going to be hard to see him as anything other than Jesus for the rest of my life. You know. Yeah. So after you see the movie, let's talk again about that specific point. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but he he pulls it off. So my question going in the movie is, how does he pull it off? And right. then he pulls it off and awesome. you'll, you'll agree and you'll see how and all the stuff. So it, amazing. So anyway, let's jump in. Let's jump in. Yeah. So you've got, you've got a uh, counseling practice. You've got a number of practitioners in your office, Christian family counseling. You've been involved in counseling for 23 years. And obviously um, you're not counseling people that have a excellent marriage all the time. You have quite a few that probably show up while they're on the brink of divorce, I imagine. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just a quick little rundown of Christian family services, because we do adoption, we do connect care, which is foster care. 
Uh, we do pregnancy support. We now have started a new program of transitional housing because uh, more of the young mothers that we're working with are choosing to parent instead of place for adoption, which is a good thing. Uh, that's mm-hmm. a good thing. But many of them don't have resources. So we found that um, housing was a big problem in St. Louis. And so we started a transitional housing program where we put them up in an apartment and pay for everything for a year. We gradually set down our support so that by the end of the year, year and a half, uh, they're fully self-sufficient in an apartment that they chose and decorated and made into a home. So we're super excited about that. But I've been involved in the counseling program at CFS for uh, a number of years. That's really been my focus. And every counselor kind of finds their niche, whether it's play therapy or individual therapy or, or uh, group work. And I have just always loved uh, marriage therapy. And so you're right. I don't see marriages that are doing well, because if you're doing well, you're not going to go to therapy. I see marriages that are bleeding out. We have to do a lot of triage. They're on you know, death's doorstep. And then we see marriages that are just not so healthy, uh, that just need a little bit of tweaking and then everything in between. Uh, but I love marriages. And I, I tell you why I love marriage personally is that I've been through a divorce myself uh, a long time ago as a young man. I was a youth minister for a church and uh, my marriage ended and I had to scramble for a new career and a new life and figure out what went wrong. Mm -hmm. And so I've been married now for 25 years, have three kids and uh, really enjoying my marriage. It's going really well. And I can tell you the difference between the two and uh, the mistakes I made and the mistakes to avoid. And also, I've been trained in Gottman therapy. So John Gottman's a researcher out of the Northwest that spent 40 years studying marriages uh, through, uh, he, he would put couples in a, in a love lab, he called it, an apartment, and he would videotape them. And then he just studied the videotapes and had the couples study the videotapes and kind of broke it down and wrote a book about it called The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. And I highly recommend this book. There's a lot of good marriage books out there. This one is perfect. Um, I did marriage therapy for about 10 years before I ran into Gottman. And when I looked at his research, I went, that's it. That explains everything that I had questions about in marriage therapy. And so that program, that plan is really helpful to couples who are struggling because what they do, if you don't mind me blabbering on here. <laughs> no, keep, keep, keep going. I do have some questions. However, you're, you're on the track I'm going. So yeah, okay, keep good, going. good, good, good. Uh, a lot of couples come in and, and look, every marriage struggles. We all struggle. I'm a marriage therapist and my marriage is the hardest thing I do every day because it requires all of me. And I'm not good at that. I'm not naturally thoughtful, selfless, hardworking. I'm naturally kind of lazy and selfish. Uh, I don't like to brag, but I'm really good at being selfish and lazy. And my marriage is not compatible with that. And so I've got to work really hard at this. And my wife and I struggle. Our marriage is great. Uh, it's the best part about my life. I, I love our marriage, but we have to work at it. And so when couples are in conflict, um, they come in and, and they make a meaning of the conflict. They say in their head, oh, we're not a good match. We should be with other people. Uh, this is just not going to work. And that's not always true. Gottman says in the research that every couple on the planet has at least 10 areas of incompatibility, at least 10. 
So we think there's going to be a person out there that they're, that's our soulmate that only has two areas of incompatibility. That's not true. You're going to switch partners. You switch the 10, but it's going to be at least 10. And when I heard that, I went, oh my gosh, me and my wife have, I think, 20. We don't spend money the same. We don't clean the same. We don't discipline the kids the same. We don't spend free time the same. We don't do anything. That's, I keep, like keep going on the list. Keep going on the list. I like Ricky Bobby and she likes documentaries. Like we don't, we don't have a lot of the same stuff. But what we do well is conflict. And what we do well is our worldview. But, you know, she's a cook, stay at home person. And I'm a get out, spend money kind of person. And we're never going to be the same on that. And it's okay. Uh, you learn to work out those differences. Uh, Gottman says it's like having a bad back or allergies. You don't get rid of it. You just manage it. You know, I grew up in Arkansas, never had allergies until I moved to St. Louis. Well, I'm not going to change St. Louis. I'm going to take allergy meds. Mm-hmm. And learning to manage those differences in your marriage is key. And a lot of couples make a meaning of it that, oh, we're not compatible. Well, yeah, nobody's compatible. I mean, everybody's difficult to be married to. Just no offense to, to believers out there anywhere. But, you know, if you were married to Jesus, that'd be difficult. That guy'd be annoying. People would be coming by at all hours, wanting to be healed, wanting to hear another sermon. He'd be out all the time talking on the Sermon on the Mount. When he came home, you'd be like, hey, great. Do you mind vacuuming? Do you know your own kid's sick? I mean, that guy would be annoying to be married to. And he's perfect. So who do we think we are? We're going to be difficult to be married to. And so helping couples navigate that and reframe it and understand the true meaning of marriage is one of my great joys in life. And uh, most couples do pretty well. It's not a guarantee. Some couples divorce, um, but not everybody, not everybody makes it. But a lot of couples find that they can be successful with uh, some tools, a skill set. Because what we do when couples get married is we give them a toaster and we say, good luck. (laughs) And all of us struggle because I I don't know about you, but I didn't take a marriage class in college. Uh, I just jumped in with both feet and screwed it up. And then uh, when I learned the skills, oh, when this happens, I can do this. I became more successful at being married. Yeah. When when I did get married, we did some counseling beforehand, premarital counseling. And they gave us all these good things to think about and talk about and talked about our beliefs and a number of times we talk about afterwards, we're like, ah, that doesn't, that's not important. Right. right. <laughs> we're good. Right. That's fine. <clears throat> they said, this is something that we should really pay attention to. Ah, that ain't an issue. Right. Right. Oh my goodness. Looking back, we've gone, huh. There was a lot of things we talked about in the <laughs> premarital counseling that really was a big deal. Right. That we at that time just weren't ready to tackle, but later on in the marriage, you know, just the worldview that you brought up, like we had not necessarily a hundred percent, the same worldview. Uh, we we're different in some ways, not majorly, but right. different in some ways. And it took years to finally come to a conclusion of where we stood, but it was addressed in, in premarital counseling. And, you know, we, we weren't ready to tackle it at that time. You know, I do some premarital counseling, Uh, I'll be honest with you. I hate it um, because it's pretty useless because the couple is going to get married no matter what. And I'm not going to tell them not to get married. Uh, And I tell them, you know, let's do a couple of sessions to make everybody feel good. I said, but come talk to me the first year of your marriage. 
because then we'll know what we're dealing with and we'll build in some healthy habits because I tell them, you have no idea the stupid fights you're about to have at two in the morning. You can't even predict what you're going to fight about. But when you're married, you'll know. And it's then that we want to build in some healthy habits to deal with that conflict instead of letting it get off the rails and become something more than what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so true. Um, my dad once said, uh, don't fall in love with the girl that you're going to marry. Fall in love with the woman after you're married. Mm. Yeah. Cause you know, Dan, this whole thing starts because I thought my wife was pretty. Yep. And that's how yep. the whole thing started. I saw her work one day and I was like, whoa, she is super hot, right? She wasn't a wife and a mother. I wasn't a husband and a father. Uh, we just like each other and decide to hook our lives together. And then she becomes a wife and she didn't know how to do that. And I didn't know how to be a husband. And then we become parents and I didn't know how to do that. There's no, there's no book for, well, there are books for that, but you don't read them before you have a kid. Right, right, right. right. And so we're thrust into these roles that we're not, that we're not prepared for and we do our best, but this whole thing started because I just saw a girl that was pretty. And I remind my kids all the time. She was my wife before she was ever your mom. And that's the way we're going to keep it. It was us in the beginning. It's going to be us at the end. You're a part of our lives, but you're hopefully going to leave my basement and live somewhere else. And it's going to be me and her. And so we've got to keep that a priority. And a lot of couples lose the marriage in the busyness of life. Now you can be married 20 years and, and have birthdays and holidays and family reunions and vacations and soccer games and sporting events and, and have a great life. But if you don't focus on the marriage after 20 years, you look at each other and go, I don't even know you anymore. Uh, so we've got to make sure that marriages are prepared for when kids go to college and you look at each other with the empty nest and you're ready for it. And most marriages aren't ready for it. They've spent, they've had a great time, 20 years of, of activities and a lot of fun, a lot of joy and a lot of love. But the marriage was last the whole time. And if the marriage isn't first, it's not going to do well at 20 years. Most divorces occur at seven years and 20 years. Uh, seven years because the kids are little and it's hard. It's super hard. 20 years because the kids go to college and you didn't work on your marriage for 20 years and you got nothing left. So we try to help marriages prepare for those two crisis moments and work through them. And most people that do are glad they did. The research shows that, that couples who are on the brink of divorce and don't divorce five years later report much greater levels of satisfaction and happiness than the couples who do divorce. That's not a guilt thing. It's a trend thing. Most couples don't re regret putting in the hard work and staying together. They don't. You're not going to be sitting on the porch, sipping iced tea, watching your grandkids play in the backyard and look over at your spouse and go, dang it, I wish I'd divorced you 30 years ago. That's probably not going to happen. You're going to be glad you worked it out. You're going to be glad you stayed together. Uh, but giving those couples hope in the moments of difficulty is probably the biggest part of my job. You can do this. You can make it through. We can work on this. We can give you a skill set and teach you how to navigate this conflict. Um, so that's why I really love doing what I do. You mentioned at least 10 things that aren't compatible in every marriage. Mm -hmm. I, I hadn't heard that anywhere before and I've read Gottman stuff. Yeah. At least 10. 
Yeah. I mean, it may be more. And I think with my wife, we have, gosh, we probably have 20. Aries just, we're not going to agree. We're not going to see eye to eye. Um, you give my wife 20 bucks in a month, she still has that 20 bucks. You give me 20 bucks tomorrow, it's gone. I've spent <laughs> it on coffee, pains, I don't know, it's something. And uh, we're just never going to view money. That I view money as experience and she views money as security. And we're never going to change our views on that. We have to learn how to work together. Uh, without me, she'd never go on vacation or have fun. Without her, I'd be bankrupt. <laughs> so together we make a pretty good team. But we have to manage that area of incompatibility instead of most couples just fight about it and think the other person's wrong. Um, so I'm hearing two things there. I'm hearing finger pointing, mm. bl blaming others, and not looking at herself. And I'm also hearing control. Mm -hmm. Are those two of the big things that you see? Yeah. So let's go over. Good. That's a great point. I could talk for the next three hours about what you just said. Um, <laughs> let's go over a couple of Gottman definitions. I love his definition of trust. He says that trust is believing your partner will act in your best interest. Not perfectly, just mostly. Um, think of trust as the fish tank and all the good stuff goes inside the fish tank. So the water, the bubbles, the fish, the rocks, the castle, the reefs, all the cool stuff. If you don't have a tank, you don't have anything. So if I go to the store and I buy the rocks and I buy the bubbles and I buy the fish and the castle and I come home and my wife says, cool, where's the tank? Oh yeah, I forgot about that. And trust is that tank that allows everything else to happen. And a lot of couples shatter that tank. They take a sledgehammer to it, uh, affairs, abuse, um, lying, stealing, cheating. A lot of couples just take a ball ping hammer and just it's one little crack at a time. You know, you can die a death of a thousand cuts. You can break a tank with a thousand tiny little cracks. And so the stuff leaks out more slowly instead of all at once. And we have to help them repair the trust. We have to build that back. It's a big empty bucket and it's one drop at a time building that back. The other definition is his definition of commitment. He says that commitment is rejecting the illusion of a better partner. Gosh, I love that. Because like what that happens in our incompatibility, in our frustrations, in our conflict, we start looking around. We don't tell our spouse we're doing this, but you go to church and the VFW hall and the ball game and the concert, and you look around at the crowd and go, maybe I should have married somebody else. Maybe somebody would be a better match because this seems too hard. This is too difficult. We shouldn't fight this much. And then we start looking around. Commitment is rejecting that illusion. Because if you find a different partner, you're just finding a different set of 10 areas of incompatibility. And so we have to reject that illusion that there's somebody out there better for us. And I'm not talking about abusive relationships or violent relationships. There are some relationships that should probably end. Uh, but most of us schlubs in the middle can make this work. But we have to reject the illusion that there's somebody else out there better for me. There's not. There's somebody else out there different, but not better. So what that leads to in our conflict, you, you talked about like finger pointing and blaming. What that leads to is what Gottman calls contempt. Man, and that's what erodes marriages. And Gottman would say, when I believe that I'm right, and my partner is wrong, that's contempt. 
And I would say, but Dr. Gottman, <laughs> I really am right about how to load the dishwasher. There is a way to load the dishwasher for maximum efficiency. Mm -hmm. He would say that's contempt. But I'm really right. Yeah, contempt. Now, if I believe I'm right, which of course I do, by the way, Dan, who thinks they live life wrong? Nobody. We all think we do it right for us. If I think I'm right and my partner is right, that's not contempt. That's cooperation. That's equality. That's problem solving. That's, that's awesome. So I graciously allow my wife, I'm saying this very sarcastically, to load the dishwasher incorrectly <laughs> because I got over myself and said, you know what? They, they get clean. They still get clean. Even if she doesn't load it the way I loaded, she does it the right way for her. And so we don't fight over that anymore. But it used to bug me. I know that's stupid. It is stupid. But it used to bug me. And it's a yeah. thousand little things that a marriage can die from. And if I have contempt over that and I grr, grr, all day long, then it erodes the foundation of our marriage. That, that is a perfect stupid example of how stupid husbands and wives can get. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I have shared the story on the podcast before, but she didn't like the way I loaded the dishwasher, you know, didn't like that. I shrunk her favorite sweater in the dryer and, you yeah. know, on, on, on. So I got fired from all the different household jobs you could possibly do, even when I was just being helpful. And right. a problem I had was I accepted being fired from those jobs. They weren't jobs that I liked. They weren't jobs that I enjoyed. They certainly didn't pay very well. Right. <laughs> and she was willing to do them all. Right. And then add being a mom to that. And then, of course, I don't make the formula right. I don't do whatever right. And so I accept being fired from all those jobs instead of stepping up and saying, hey, I agree. I'm not doing it the way you want. Like, let's talk about this. Like, you can't have all the household jobs. I'm right. okay with you that, but I shouldn't be. But I shouldn't be like, you're going to let me go the lazy way. You're going to let me do the easy thing. And ultimately that's going to be bad for our marriage. And over time we've balanced things out better. And, you know, we've been able to work through the, and really, I don't know if it was contempt on her side, but I certainly had many contemptful thoughts and right. convictions. And I'd look towards the negative side of things, trying right. to build my case so that I could be right. And right. it doesn't feel like you're, thinking that way about how you're right. But um, ultimately, that's what you're doing. You know, it's not a argument between you and your wife, but internally in your head, it is. And you're trying to solidify your position. And man, that is the wrong way. And so I hear you say the word contempt. And I thought, yeah. And then it became cherish. And when I focused on the word cherish, it was a word that I could appreciate. And like, how can I cherish my wife today? Right. Another word was prioritize. So when I stick a stick on words like cherish, prioritize, love, serve, all of a sudden my thinking goes towards being right. Right. And that being right is yes, I did do something that cherished, loved, served, prioritized my wife in a way that she loved and you know, that type of thing. So sometimes you have to stand up and say, Hey, we're not doing this the right way. Let's navigate this as opposed to just being unspoken about things and taking the easy path. Yeah. You know, I can tell you've read a little bit of Gottman because that's exactly what I was going to say. The antidote, as Gottman says, to contempt is gratitude. Cherish, same word, appreciation. Uh, you know what comes naturally to me? Contempt. I don't have to work on that one. No, that uh, one's the easy road. Yeah. 
Well, scripture says the spirit struggles against the flesh. I think that's what this is talking about. That I, I mean, dr- drive around St. Louis, I can do contempt all day long for drivers in St. Louis. Uh, in marriage, the same thing happens. The contempt comes easy. That just happens. I don't have to plan it or work on it. Gratitude is a discipline that we have to practice. So I, I'll tell you my story. Um, my wife is a hoarder. <laughs> she's not. She's not. But to me, she is because I'm a minimalist, right? And so I have a house dysmorphic problem. I think our house is much messier than it is. Uh, I have anxiety about clutter. I just do. It's my thing. And she likes stuff. She likes to collect a lot of stuff. She's a cook. She loves kitchen gadgets. We have over 500 cookbooks in our house. I've counted them. 500. And she (laughs) uses and loves them all. And that's amazing to me, but it gives me a little bit of anxiety. And so it's easy for me to feel contempt for that and grr. And uh, yeah, get frustrated with that because I wouldn't do that. I, I, I like hotels. I like minimalist. I don't want a lot of stuff. And it's easy for me to grr all day long. And what I have to choose is gratitude. And here's my story. The reason we're together is because she keeps stuff. We worked together a short time at Chrysler doing some hiring for them for their Fenton plant. I know it's not there anymore, but Chrysler used to have a plant out there and We did some contract work together and I thought she was real pretty, but we didn't have much contact. But after the work ended, I threw everything away. I was like, I'm never going to see those people again. I'm never going to work that job again. And she kept the employee phone list and she called me and Dan, you're probably too young to remember this, but there used to be a thing called a voicemail machine. Oh yeah, I remember. (laughs) And I came home uh, one day and I was in a period of my life where nobody called me. So I didn't get a lot of messages. And I came home one day and the little light was flashing and I had a message. I was like, whoa, this is something new. And it was her. And she left a voicemail that said, hey, I'm new in town. I don't have a lot of friends. And I was wanting to know if you'd be my friend. Man, I couldn't call her back quick enough. <laughs> I was so excited. This is the best phone call in my life. I really wanted to be her friend because I don't know if I mentioned this, but she's pretty hot. So I was yeah, really yeah. interested in being her friend. And so what I have to do in those moments where I'm frustrated, I have to be grateful because what she does is keep things. And that's the reason we're together. And I have this great life. Her closet is. And it would, it would have been so easy for you to not put those two things together and stay yeah. on the contempt side because she's keeping all the stuff because you've got a daily reminder around your house as opposed yeah. to, wow, what a blessing that was. Absolutely. And so that, that gratitude is a discipline. I have to look for that. The contempt is easy. I mean, that's lazy. The gratitude is hard work. And I have to be grateful for who she is. Listen to this. I have to be grateful for who she is. It is not my wife's job to be worthy of my gratitude. It is my job to be grateful unconditionally. Mm. But what we do a lot of times is we, you talked about the blame game. There's a disconnect in the marriage. The disconnect is nobody's fault. That's what happens. But in the disconnect, we blame the other person and wait for them to move towards us. Well, surely she'll apologize. I mean, she was crazy and surely he'll apologize because he was a jerk. And if we do that, nobody moves and the disconnect deepens. There's another disconnect and another and another one. And I have to do the active work of being grateful and moving towards my wife. But what my brain says is she doesn't deserve me. My brain is stupid sometimes. My brain says she doesn't deserve me, right? Because I do this and this and this, and she doesn't do anything is what my brain tells me. 
And I have to actively work against that and be grateful for who she is, not who I want her to be. And that's hard. I didn't hear you say this, but it made me think about marriage and 50-50 and you do 50, I do 50 and all that type concept and balance and hogwash. And I think about more like the 80-20. If I'm doing 80% of the work or in my perception, I'm probably actually doing 50. Right. <laughs> and if I think she's doing 20, she's probably actually doing 50. Right. So we've got to strive to be on the 80 to 100 side of things and let go of the expectation that our wife needs to do our every bidding or fulfill our desires or make right. us a happy person or complete us. <laughs> right, right. Tom Cruise, you complete me. Yeah. Horrible, great line, horrible thought process, right? Um, I always tell couples, if you think your marriage is unfair, you just might be doing it right. Because my job is to give 100%. That's my job. It's 100-100. And I want my wife to give 100%. But I can't worry about her percent. I just worry about working hard. That's all I can do. And if I look at what she's doing, it's going to lead to some of my contempt. Because I'm focused on her. Let's talk about this next principle. I don't want to avoid some of your questions. Did you? No, did no, you no. Go, have, go, go, go. I, I kind of letting you direct the ship, man. You're the, all you're right. the expert. You've got all the years, um, way more than I am. I'm, I'm not the expert, expert. I've just failed more than others, right? I'm a better failure and I've learned from it. So if that counts as an expert, then that's me. Um, there's also a principle that Jesus talked about that is brilliant. And, and we so undersell this next concept. Jesus said, you know, you've got, <clears throat> you're looking for the speck in your neighbor's eye when you've got a plank or a log sticking out of your own eye. Goodness, he nailed it. That's what we struggle with. We look for the speck in our wife's eye when we've got a plank sticking out of our own eye. And I am never wrong if I deal with my log, ever. I'm never wrong about that. I am always wrong if I deal with your speck, even if I'm right. Even if I'm 100% right about your speck, it doesn't work because people don't accept it, right? If I rightfully, truthfully, 100% point out my wife's flaws, do you think she's going to enjoy that? Do you think she's going to say, you know, thank you so much for pointing out that I need to be more of a minimalist and throw things away? No, she's not going to accept that. What I can do is talk about my log. And I do. I say things like, hey, I can't go in the cat room anymore. That's my, that's what I call our junk room down in the basement. It's the cat craft junk laundry basket room. And I, I, I got issues. I don't know why I have issues, but I do. And I can say, hey, I can't, I can't go in there. I can't go down there and deal with anything because it gives me too much anxiety. I'm allowed to say that. I'm not blaming her. I'm not telling her to do anything about it. I've accepted that this is just the junk room of our house, but it gives me anxiety. I look around and it just starts to make my chest tighten. I don't know why. I got issues. And I can talk about my log all day long. I can never talk about her spec because it doesn't work. That whole blaming process that you talked about. We often talk to our spouses if, well, you would just get on board and do things the right way, I'd be happy. No, no, that won't work because they won't accept it. And that really doesn't make you happy because that's that control aspect that you talked about. If I worry about my log, if I talk about my feelings, I'm never wrong. I can talk about it all day long. I'm just not telling anybody what to do about it. And I'm not blaming anybody. 
And it's just my thing. I can always deal with my log. I can never deal with anybody else's spec. And boy, couples, they struggle with this. They sit on my couch and they say, well, I feel like you're a jerk. And I go, nope, 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 nope. That's not, you can't do that. Him being a jerk is not a feeling you can have. He might be a jerk. I'm not even disagreeing with that. But you can't feel like he's a jerk. That's a perspective. We're always wrong about our perspectives. We're never wrong about our feelings. So if she says, well, I'm, I'm hurt. Good. There we go. That's a good word. You can say that all day, every day. I feel betrayed, hurt, disappointed, angry, frustrated, jealous, lonely, unimportant, not cared for. Yes, 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 yes. <clears throat> if I say, you don't care for me, I'm wrong about that because the other person's not going to accept it. They're not going to go, you know, you're right. I don't care for you. That's never going to happen. They're going to reject it. But I can talk about my log all day long. And look, Jesus modeled this for us. If you read through the Gospels in the red letter edition, he consistently said, I and the Father are one. I glorify the Father. Father glorifies me. I'm in him. He's in me. <laughs> he talked about his experience with God. He never once said anybody else wasn't. Now, he did ride the Pharisees a little bit. <laughs> he, got, he was hard on them. But to the normal everyday schlub like us, he never told anybody else they weren't one with God. He just talked about his experience. And people said, you can't say that. He didn't back off. That was his log. I'm just telling you, I'm one with God. He never backed off that. And so he modeled this for us. And it's a powerful relational tool that if we could learn to talk like this everywhere, not just in marriages, with our kids, with our coworkers, with our friends, if we talk about our logs, we're never going to be wrong. I tell my kids as a parent, hey, you know, whatever the behavior is, is making me anxious. It's making me upset. I'm not telling them not to do the behavior. I'm just telling them where I'm at, what I'm worried about. And then we have a good conversation about it. Because if I try to manage their spec, you know, I don't know if you have teenagers, but boy, teenagers do not like it when you try to manage their spec. <laughs> and so it's 100% it's failure rate if you try to manage their spec, but I can talk about my log all day long. So that's a big point that we talk about in marriage therapy all the time, the speck and log problem. What about being curious? How, how can curiosity play a part in that? Mm. Well, I don't know if this is where you're going, but I think curiosity is a, is a great tool. Uh, whenever there's a disconnect, there's a, some tension, you feel it, right? And as a husband, I can say, whoa, hey, what's going on right now? What are you feeling? Well, I just feel like you don't do anything around the house to help me. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> that's, that's a perspective. I do a lot around the house, but you're feeling something. What are you feeling? And, and you, me not doing anything is not a feeling you can have, but I'm wondering what you're feeling. Well, I just feel overwhelmed right now. Cool. Let's talk about that. So I'll tell you a real story, a real fight I had with my wife. Uh, again, she's a cook. She's amazing. Uh, my kids are so lucky. I'm lucky. I tell my kids all the time. You're never going to experience this ever again for the rest of your life. She makes magic happen out of nothing. She really is a great cook. We enjoy all kinds of foods from all over the world. One day she said to me, well, you're a male chauvinist. You think women should be barefoot pregnant in the kitchen doing all the cooking. That was a big fight because I do not see myself as a male chauvinist. I'm all about women empowerment. And so that was a big fight because I got my feelings hurt and we, we had one of those big fights. The next week she said, hey, I am overwhelmed with all the cooking, 
shopping, planning, executing. I'm starting to hate cooking. And I went, whoa. I mean, that would be like me saying, I hate football. Like something's wrong. Get me to the hospital. Mm -hmm. Uh, I said, gosh, what can I do to help? She said, can you just take over one night a week? I was like, sure, I can do that. I love to help. I love to be a hero. I said, yeah, I'll do Tuesdays. I get home a little bit early on Tuesdays. I'll run by Aldi's. I'll come up with something. Uh, my kids hate Tuesdays, right? Because the food is not good. I've got some recipes. Uh, the world's worst <laughs> crock pot lasagna recipe. You want it? I got it. Uh, a, a crock pot fried rice that was horrible. Uh, but my kids never died. They never got food poisoning. And my wife wasn't overwhelmed anymore. So when she talked about my spec, which she was 100% right, I didn't do any of the cooking because she's good at it and I'm not. When she talked about my spec, it caused a fight. When she talked about her log, we solved a problem. And most marriages never understand that difference. So all the responsibilities and all that type thing, if we help ease our wife's burden and guys, listen, you're going to care about this one this will be where where we end it uh maybe this is the challenge for the week we always end with a challenge so here's your benefit guys i believe and i'm going to ask eric the question that you want to ask him so if we do those things is it kind of logical that we shouldn't necessarily expect more sex however a byproduct can be by having a loving relationship that you care for your wife and help take her burdens off her, that you will get more sex? That is the goal. And look, we are not perverts. That is not all we think about. That's how we feel close to our wives. That's the vehicle we use to get there. I want the same thing as my wife. I want to be close to her. The physical act of intimacy is how I get there. She's the opposite. She needs the relationship to be in a good place before that can ever happen. So the more I do to help her, the more she feels in a good place. So I'm pretty honest about it. I do everything around the house that I do so that I can get what I need. That's why I do stuff that I don't. That's why I paint things and put up shelves and I don't care about that stuff. She cares about it. So here's another important principle. We can kind of close with this. Um, Gottman calls it the yield to win principle based on the uh, exceptional work of Dr. John Nash, who the, the movie Beautiful Mind was written about. He did some research on game theory and Gottman borrowed from that. Um, and, and basically what it means for marriages is I have five things that I want and my wife has five things for simple terms, right? So just, just part of the, the metaphor here. I have five things I care about. And she has five things she cares about and they don't match. If I fight for my five, I'll get two. If I fight for my wife to win her five, I get four of my own. I'm an inherently selfish and lazy person. You mean I get more out of this? Yes, sign me up for that. If I help my wife win her five, I get more of what I want out of it. But that's not natural. It's like the paradoxes of Jesus where he said, if you save your life, you lose it. If you lose it, you save it. And we go, yeah, what? <laughs> what that mean? Uh, sounds good. Don't know what that means. This is what he's talking about. If you try to win the fight with your wife, you're going to lose the fight with your wife. If you try to lose it, you're going to win more than you could ever hope for. If I fight for her to win her five things, I'm going to get more of my own things out of it. So it's 
it's a mutual interesting event that we can create by helping her win her five things. Now, scripture talks about this in Ephesians 5. Uh, you know, guys love the verse, wives submit to your husbands. Uh, it doesn't stop there. And there's more to it than that. Because right before that, it says, you know, love your wives as Christ loved the church. In other words, he was willing to lay down his life for the church. If we're willing to do that, what I've noticed is that women respond to submission with submission. We respond as men to submission by taking it. So if we submit first, they love to submit back because it's mutual. But if they submit first, that's about where that stops. And so I think, guys, as leaders in our home, we are not the man of the house. I'm the servant of the house. My job is to outwork everybody, my kids and my wife. And then they naturally, my wife naturally responds to that with submission. And if it feels ever imbalanced, if I ever feel overwhelmed, I can talk about that. I don't tell her what she's doing. I can say, hey, I feel like I'm doing everything. That's not true, but I'm not wrong about that feeling. And so it's that submission part that helps us get what we want. Women naturally respond to submission with submission. Uh, they respond to, they accept and receive influence from, gosh, everybody, strangers in the grocery store. You know, I, I once found my wife talking to somebody in the grocery store and I said, who was that? And she goes, I don't know. We just started talking about breast milk. I went, okay. I'm never going to meet you in the grocery store, Dan, as a stranger, and we're going to start talking about our prostates. That is never going to happen. <laughs> I don't give and receive that influence as easily as my wife. And so when we submit, they are geared for that influence and they submit back. And then we have a really healthy marriage. The 1950s marriage was women submit no matter what. And they might have done that, but they were bitter and resentful about it. I don't want my wife to be bitter and resentful. So I submit first and then she gladly submits back. That's awesome. Well, what a great way to, to close out the show. Guys, focus on helping your wife get her five things. Help her with some of the household burdens and chores, things that you don't normally do and uh, you know, grow in love with your wife, cherish her and be grateful even for the things that are like the the cat room in Eric's house <laughs> that, that fuck you. So the yeah. traits that create that are the reason why they're married. And that's a beautiful way to remind yourself, you know, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on. Look forward to having you on again sometime. Look forward awesome. to getting, in a, getting in a beat down with you sometime as well. Yeah, I'd love to. Let me know. All right. Sounds great. Thank right. you. Eric. Thanks, Dan, for all you do. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Talk soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Thank you guys for being a light. Shine that light out and let others see it. With you guys, part of this community, it helps me be accountable to you guys. It helps me be accountable to myself, be accountable to God and Jesus. I hope you appreciated this episode and picked up some great things. I hope you like the challenge and hope you can execute on that challenge this week. I ask of you, please subscribe, share the show with others. Join us inside of the Journey of a Christian Dad on Facebook, inside our private community. Share that community with others. Have your buddies join. Have other dads that are looking to grow in their faith, grow as spiritual leaders of their family. As we engage in our journey and be intentional with it, we can help others grow theirs as well. We thank you again for listening. We thank you for all your reviews. Look forward to reading a review of yours on a future show. So, dear God, 
Thanks for blessing all of us and thanks for drawing us closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Have fun, guys.